Welcome, welcome everyone. My name is Sarah Hallett and this is the Business of Being an Artist podcast, hosted by the Meta Foundation and in partnership with ArtSource South Africa and sponsored by the Friedrich Naumann Foundation. This podcast comes off the back of a four-month workshop that we've just completed that focused on the entrepreneurial skills required to be a visual artist in South Africa. The course covered topics ranging from networking, professional documents, professional practice, budgeting and planning, through to presentation skills and critical feedback on the artist's work. This episode is centered around working with a gallery and planning an exhibition. In studio today, we have Julie Taylor from Guns and Rain and Vivian Kohler, who is an artist. Before we kick off, I'm going to ask you, please, Julie, would you mind introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your gallery? Sure. Thanks so much, Sarah, for having me. My name is Julie Taylor. I'm the founder and director of Guns and Rain. Guns and Rain uh, was is actually nearly 10 years old. Next year is going to be our 10th birthday. And we started online only back in the day when actually very few galleries were online. It's hard to remember that time, but it's true. So we were one of the first online African art platforms, but we, um, we soon started doing pop-ups and physical events of different kinds. And we've had a permanent physical space since 2018. Now we work with young emerging artists from six different African countries. I'm happy to say that we've helped quite a number of them launch international careers. That's amazing. Thank you very much. Vivian, do you want to give us a little bit of background on yourself and your artistic journey? Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for having me here, Sarah. My career started in Cape Town. I was born in Cape Town. Um, I studied at uh, Ruth Pras. Gosh, when was that? 2000, I finished and then moved to Johannesburg in 2012. And it's been a awesome sense. <laughs> and still here, still in Joburging. Right, right. <laughs> One of the few people who's come from Cape Town to Joburg and the other way around. <laughs> Julie, I'm going to turn to you first and I'm going to just ask you to cover some super basic things. I would like to hear what you think your role, by you I mean the gallerist, what your gallerist role is in the visual arts ecosystem. Sure. So I think I'll start by saying that I think the role of a gallery can and does vary. Not every gallery does the same things for an artist. I'll talk specifically about what we as Guns and Rain do for an artist, but bear in mind that this, this can vary from gallery to gallery. So, um, we have focused on mostly young emerging artists and many of our artists we have started working with sort of right at the beginning of their careers. Obviously, there are now several who've been with us probably since 2015 or 2016. So, you know, we've kind of traveled the journey to together. But in that time, what we've tried to do is uh, provide a sort of holistic career development platform. And this means um, offering mentorship, uh, of different kinds. It doesn't necessarily have to come from me or, or a gallery staff member. It might be hooking that artist up with someone who is the right kind of mentor for them or someone who can give them technical feedback on their painting or how to better use oil paints. You know, things that I wouldn't necessarily like be an expert on, but hooking them up with, with the right kind of mentor for them, helping them find opportunities, um, which might be uh, beyond what what we offer. So yes, we might offer them exhibition opportunities, um, exhibiting at art fairs, that kind of thing. 
But bear in mind, there are many other things to think about. Uh, training opportunities of different kinds, residencies, applying for prizes, um, thinking about further education, thinking about perhaps doing a course like the one that you have run, Sarah. Then on top of all of that, we're doing so-called regular gallery things like helping raise their profile locally and internationally by having them on our website, by showing their work on our Instagram and Facebook, by taking them to art fairs locally and internationally. And of course, uh, the money thing, which is, you know, about helping them make an, making an income and try and develop a livelihood that is, is based around their, their practice. So. I think in a nutshell, that is most of what we do. But I, I would add that some galleries are more sales and commercial focused, and they may not provide those other sort of more holistic things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I get this question a lot. Do you have kind of a formal process for meeting new artists? Is it very instinctual? Do you take people who walk through your door? Mm. You know, as the gallery has grown and as people have got to know us, and as we receive, you know, more and more proposals from artists, we've I suppose developed a semi-formal way of doing this now because we had to develop a process. Um, so at this stage, if someone wants to show us their work, what would be best is for them to go to our website, look at our um, contact page, and there's information there which outlines, you know, what we would like to hear from an artist. And there's a list of requirements, and they simply put all that together and send it through. But, you know, in terms of the artists that we do work with, obviously, this has been an organic sort of journey that's happened over years. Some of the artists back in 2014, 15, 16, you know, I went out and scouted for them and I found people that were a good fit for me in various ways. And, and we've stuck together and it's been like a little mini marriage. <laughs> but uh, there are others who have come to me via an email completely speculative email. And look, I get a lot of them. And at the moment, our hands are very full. So we're, we're not taking on any new artists. But um, in general, I'd say every year, we'll look for two or three new artists who we think are really promising, and we will consider taking them on. So it's a mix of those more formalized channels, mm. plus us looking um, actively, you know, out there and seeing what's going on. I must say, because we had this conversation during the workshop, but one of my Things that I find really difficult to deal with is when I'm out somewhere, exhibition opening, art fair, something, and an artist approaches me with their cell phone in hand, and then my little heart sinks because I know that they are going to show me their artwork and try and tell me their story. And I can understand why, like they're jumping on the opportunity, so I kind of appreciate that. On the other hand, it happens every single time I go out that it does become a bit much. So to those artists who are listening, <laughs> it is often better to take a more kind of formal approach than wanting to kind of put someone on the spot and uh, ask them those questions while they've got a glass of wine in their hand from opening. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and I would also just add to that, I mean, it happens a lot at fairs. Mm. And I think um, artists don't often understand that actually a fair time for a gallerist, even though it looks like it's all grand fun, it's it's hard work, it's stressful, and we're under, we're under a lot of pressure to actually make sales yeah. and pay our bills. Yeah. Um, so it is not the right time to try and engage in a lengthy conversation about your practice no. or your dreams. It, it just isn't, sorry. Take the business um, card and send me an email. Exactly. And don't expect a response that weekend either, because... You know, we're not in the office. And I think that's quite important for a lot of artists don't understand how the galleries work. 
and in a very practical way. I mean, they get conceptually how it works. But I think there are these considerations that are missing, which then they can't understand why they're not being responded to or why, you know, a gallery isn't taking on more people. What would you say, Julie, like should be some first steps for an artist in terms of kind of getting their name out into the world? And I'm especially thinking around exhibitions. So let's say I leave it today. Got my got my four years behind me. Where would you suggest an artist starts from an exhibition point of view and just building their brand, getting themselves out there? So, I mean, obviously there's the gallery step, but I would imagine that the gallery step's a little bit further down the line. It's not what you do on day one. Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, day one, gosh, I'm not sure if I've ever literally thought about day one, but it's a good <laughs> question. So, you know, there are some things that um, someone can do off their own back and with their own steam, which is, you know, start doing your own marketing via Instagram and Facebook. And, and that can be done in a, a low budget, organic kind of way. And I would imagine that most young people are doing that anyway, which is great. In terms of sort of taking first steps to thinking about working with a, a gallery or pursuing an exhibition opportunity, bear in mind, first of all, that galleries are not the only place to have an exhibition, although Vivi and I were just talking about this earlier. And I do think it's a pity that galleries seem to dominate this postgraduate time space. and space mm. in their lives because basically I don't think we have enough non-profits and mm. government supported yeah. spaces which would allow artists to exhibit outside of a commercial realm which is unfortunate and we can we can talk about that maybe another day or another time but um yeah I think that the as you say most people think well you know how, how do I exhibit at a gallery I think what they have to do is get out there and go and visit galleries, go and visit exhibitions, see what's happening out there and get us a, a sense and a feel for what this gallery's program is. You know, I, I think you can't, I get quite a lot of sort of, it's not a cold call, but whatever a cold, cold call equivalent over email is, where someone clearly hasn't looked at yeah. the gallery. They don't really yeah. know what our vibe is. No. They don't really know what kind of work we show. And if they had, they would realize that we don't show wildlife art or whatever yes. it is, right? So do your homework, do your research, and then start making sure that you have your materials in order. And that means having a CV, having a simple portfolio, and having a cover letter. Like most people I find don't know what a cover letter is. And that is basically, it can be a short motivational email, which says, listen, this is who I am. This is why I think your gallery is a good fit for me. This is what I'm setting out to do have a look at my work, you know, I'm working on ABC and this is why I think it's all a good a good fit. And try and tailor that to each gallery you're approaching. Don't send a generic email to every single gallery because we're not the same. No. We are really not the same. Yeah, those are some of the steps that I would I would uh, advise. And also you're talking about graduates, but there are lots of artists we work with who don't have a university degree. No, indeed. Um so there are some artists who don't have access to um maybe a nice computer or nice software or things to make them yes. their portfolios look pretty. And that's also not not a major issue. But of course, do what you can to at least put your images together in, in some kind of decent format. Yes, I, I think the education thing is very well noted. Not, I do not believe at all that all artists need to have a university education in order to be successful. I think it does help in a lot of um, ways, but it's not the be all and end all. Viv, I mean, you've done all kinds of things in your career, and it would be interesting from an artist to understand what you kind of think the major stepping stones are in the road to so-called success. 
for me, number one is obviously, um, or maybe it's actually not that obvious these days, is to really work on your craft. For me, that's number one. Um, too many, in my opinion, at least, too many artists are focused on, I don't want to call, I don't know if it's the limelight or what it is, the... <laughs> The, the the you know, maybe yeah the fame of of being with a gallery, but they forget the gallery needs to some sell something that they really buy into. So for me, that's number one. Just really Obsessed. and honestly, obsessively, yes, work on your craft. Um, I remember I remember being at um, at Ruth Prowse and. There were times I was the only one in the studio working evenings. You know, everyone had gone home. And that, that honestly, that wasn't a conscious thing. I was just so focused and I, I wanted to get this thing right. I wanted to get the, the image right, the, the composition and all of that. Um, and I would find myself there, you know, the evenings, just me alone, um, painting. Um, and it's only when I sort of lifted my head up that I realized, oh crap, like everyone's gone home, you know. Um, but passion needs to drive your career first. That's that's milestone number one. Um, the rest, in 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 at least in my experience, the rest fell into place because of that. Mm. Um, we f- we forget we forget that. Um, even me, even me at this point in my career, I need to remind myself, you know, something, what I'm doing now, it's actually not good enough. Mm. I need to go back to the drawing board. I need to start over. Um, I need to keep pushing. Mm. Um, many times what I do as well is I go to, to gallery exhibitions, um, just to look at the work and knock myself down a few pegs because I know I haven't reached it yet and I need to work harder to get there. Um, part of the milestones as well is um, we don't get there on our own, right? No one gets there on their own. Um, it's very important to build good relationships and act ethically within the um, within the industry. Um, we kind of live in a in a quick fix um, society where everything you know you want everything to be kind of microwave microwave popcorn. But we forget that those milestones are people as well. Um, and so to hold yourself ethically within the industry is very important um, because the industry itself is, is relatively small. Mm. And it's especially, small especially right? Yeah. And so we kind of all know each other <laughs> and people talk, right? So, um, yeah. I think that's important. It's a very good point. I've been doing this for just just long enough that I just refuse to be treated badly by artists. So if you, you know, I'm working on you and you refuse to answer my calls or you um, say you're going to do something and you endlessly won't, you endlessly show up late for your, your exhibition that I'm putting on for you, you don't deliver your work on time, your work's not fixed, it's not ready, it's not this, it's not that, and I have to go and do all this extra stuff. Mm. And that's terrible because the reality is the work, the industry is small. So, yeah. you know, if you do that to enough people yeah. in the industry, yeah. what's going to happen is that no one is going to be there to support you. Mm. You're going to look around one day and go, 
why haven't I made it? Mm. And that's, yeah, because, you know, you, you were incredibly difficult to work with for whatever reason. Viv, I'm going to just go back a sec. You've just come back from 154. Yeah. Where you showcased. So for people who don't know, uh, 154 is um, an African-focused art fair. It happens in a number of different cities around the world. But the one you participated in was in London. Yes. And am I correct in saying that you had work, new work, that uh, was shown by Spear Art Trust? Um, could you walk us through the preparation for that exhibition? Um, yeah, sure. Um, so that particular work, um, it was an idea that I had, um, that I wasn't able to do for my solo exhibition um, at Gallery Momo. Um, and I really, <laughs> I was sad that I wasn't able to, to, you know, fulfill that, that, that idea. Um, so when Spear approached me, um, initially, I uh, I didn't know what to do because the, the, the weight of that sort of platform hit me <laughs> and I had to come to terms with that. And then uh, I realized, wait, hold on, I've got this this idea. And uh, thankfully, once I, I passed the idea by them, they, um, they, yeah, they encouraged me to pursue it. Um, thankfully so. Um, we were given a few parameters. Um you know, not not to put them in a bad light, which is kind of fair. Um, but they actually, thankfully, allowed me to to just run with it and and, and do what I wanted to. Um, I don't usually do sort of political works, politically motivated works, but um, I think they allowed me to to do that because it wasn't overtly political. Um, it wasn't abrasive. Um, so the yeah the process of putting the work together I mean that was just the initial idea the core. Um, my Do you always point. start from a concept? Is that how you're? Like Strangely. when you were planning your solo show for Momo, did you kind of go? This is the overall theme of the show first, and then you make the work, or did you make work and then put the theme and then make more work? Like strangely enough i i catch up to concept yeah. through the process i usually when i start i don't know what i'm doing i just know that it feels right um so i, I tend to start with dreams um even though i don't ever remember my dreams but i remember the emotion of the dream so that's what i i initially try to capture um that emotion then i start putting images together um start sort of trying to figure out the materiality of, of each piece. Um, then, of course, when it comes to the materiality, the, sort of my bit of fun is is casting everything and just, you know, playing with everything, seeing how everything comes together. Um, so for people who don't um, maybe know Viv's work, or maybe you've seen it in a picture but you've never seen it in real life, often he makes work... Um, to look like a material. So the the thing that comes to mind instantly is some of his cardboard work, where from a distance it looks like it is made out of cardboard boxes. If you go and you look at the work really closely, you will see that it's not, that it is cast and hand-painted. It's incredible because you would walk past it and think it's a cardboard box. And then through the working process, every artist will understand that you start meditating on the work, start thinking about the work, and ideas start formulating. So that's why I said I catch up to concept. 
through through the working process the the concept starts to sort of come together not immediately to be honest some some work takes years for me to understand i just know it's cool i love it and it's on the wall you know it's finished that doesn't mean that i understand the work and i've i've coming to joburg i struggle with that because um joburg tends to be quite conceptually driven um so when i got here everyone asked me first for the concept and that kind of messed me up a bit when i got here to be honest um but i've i've made peace with the fact that that is my process i might not understand it but that doesn't mean it's wrong um yeah no yeah. i don't think uh, in my experience is no right or mm, right? wrong way to make work it just is the need to make mm. and definitely uh, yeah i guess you know i also you know uh, often that when people come in you know if we do an exhibition little platform show for example there's what the artist has said especially if, if artists come from universities then they've kind of written this concept which they've applied to the work and then an audience member will come in and say something completely different about the work and i watch the artist get completely thrown by this other person's point of view on the thing that they have created and how fascinating that is because obviously there's whatever meaning you yeah, yeah. subscribe to it exactly but 99.9% of the time the work is shown without the artist so the meaning you know you can't be too dictatorial mm, about the meaning absolutely. somebody's going to put their own stuff to it mm. that's what i love about art actually um it's this beautiful learning um symbiosis yes. that happens magic yeah absolutely i love the magic <laughs> I think it's why I do what I do. <laughs> Julie, one of the things that I have, and it's getting better, but one of the things I've kind of picked up a little bit on over the years is that for some reason there seems to be an inherent lack of trust between artists and gallerists. And I know, like Viv, you were talking earlier about the kind of ethics of treating people correctly in the space that we're in. And you, in fact, have two galleries which operate in two different regions could i say that geographic yeah regions? yeah right but you've taken the view that you tell your gallerists everything man. i try to be as transparent as i can yeah um and the reason i do that is because i believe that they are my partners um i don't i don't look at it uh, as being an artist gallerist um relationship but we are partners in this together we're partners in this business together so i need to treat them respectfully you kind of mentioned Julia marriage earlier, but I, I, it's an interesting thing. There's this lack of trust that some people, and I often find it with artists who've never been represented. So it's not that they necessarily have a bad relationship with their gallery, but what do you think artists and gallerists can do to protect that partnership that mm. you have? Yeah, I think it's a great uh, question. And I think a lot of young or inexperienced artists in particular have questions and concerns about this uh, area. I think on both sides, there needs to be a clear sense of, you know, expectation and trust takes time to build, you know, as Vivian has said. And, and I think, as you say, it's a partnership. And I tend to liken the early stages of an artist and a gallery getting to know each other actually as dating and marriage, because I think it takes a while to sort of check someone out and, and see if they are a good fit for you. And that is in various different ways. You know, obviously, the work itself has to really inspire the gallery team or whoever it is who, who's kind of, 
you know, leading, leading the charge. And as Vivian has said, I mean, you know, you want that to be the very best thing it can be. And that's why it's so important for an artist to really focus on, you know, making the best that you, that you can. You know, it's a partnership. It takes time to get to know each other. It takes time to get to know about the process of making the work, but there's also personalities involved and we're all different. Artists are said to be X, Y, Z, but I imagine gallerists are also said yeah. to be X, Y, Z, right? Yeah. Um, so all of the characters in this ecosystem tend to be quite individualistic people or they, they sort of stand out because everyone's different. Everyone's creative. Everyone's got their own ideas about how to, how to do things. And so that's why it is going to take a little time to see if artist A and gallery X are going to be a fit for each other. Um, so I think it's important for an artist to do research and homework. And that means talking to other people in the industry, talk to other artists about their experiencing experience of working with um, such and such a gallery. And what we do at Guns and Rain is we try and have sort of almost like a background information sheet that we share with artists who we are considering inviting on board. So they understand like everything that goes into, you know, all the inventory management work of thousands of artworks on our, so- on our software system and all the work that goes onto the website updating and maintenance and all the work and money that goes into having an artsy subscription and managing all of those uploads, mm. all the costs that go into maintaining a space and putting on an exhibition and paying for insurance and having a whole network of suppliers like photographers and shipping agents and um, all of that kind of things. And again, it's going to differ from gallery to gallery, like not everyone is the same. And similarly, I think it's important for a gallery to explain to an artist like what they expect of the artist. It is a partnership. It does take time to develop trust. You know, galleries and artists differ on whether they want sort of formal agreements in place, formal written agreements. But whichever way, you know, the basis is trust. And I kind of see written agreements as the cherry on the top. It's nice to have, but it's it's not really going to be the thing that people want to fall back on if there's a problem. You want to have that baseline trust. It takes while, a while to suss people out and figure out if that's there. And then you want to build on that over time. Yeah. I mean, I think um, what a lot of artists maybe don't also consider is that gallerists work with artists at risk. In other words, the gallery's got all of these costs and staff and, you know, RT subscriptions, which is horribly expensive, space, exhibition costs, and they do all of that without any guarantee that a single cent is going to be made. Yeah, that's right. No, absolutely. There are huge risks involved and many artists um, don't understand the, the scale of, of financial risk that's undertaken. And of course, it's not just Financial. Well, I mean, maybe you could say it is just for for perhaps some of the organisations that you know have ample financial backing. But you know, there are lots of galleries that that don't have investors and that have kind of grown on on merit as as we have. And um, yeah, the the risks are not just financial, but you know, personally, as you say, Sarah, you know, you you one works incredibly long hours mm. for I don't know how many years the first. Mm. I don't know, five, six years of the gallery, I probably worked every single weekend. Mm. I mean, that, and even now I'm doing work pretty much every weekend. That's just like how it is. And that's what I've chosen to do. And it's my, and my passion. I'm not getting paid for all those extra hours, but you know, that's also such a big investment for, mm. for me. And I'm doing that on, on risk, as you say. At Guns and Rain, we also quite often choose to show work that is quite unconventional. Mm. It's unusual materials. 
Um, which and, makes it hard which to makes sell. it hard to sell mm. yeah. exactly I mean um, awesome to look at like so inspired interesting dynamic yeah. exactly so it comes yeah. it comes with with risk and and also an artist needs to understand that you know of course we we have to be as the gallery we have to be sensible about the kind of mix of types of art that we take on and you know we do have to make some sales of some kinds of art in order to subsidize the costs of the other work that is realistically not going to sell that often you know of course we hope it will sell whether that's now or in the future but ultimately there're going to be some more higher selling um artworks that are more popular easier to sell mm-hmm. which ultimately will kind of subsidize those that are less uh, easy to sell um but yes there is a, a lot of risk and um i think that's a good point to emphasize yeah. I mean, uh, Viv, one of the things, if I remember correctly, I think you told me a story once about being at Assemblage and you were actually producing work out of cardboard. Yes. Yes, I was. Uh, way back when. Yeah. Assemblage was a studio space in Johannesburg, which is uh, unfortunately now closed. Yeah, a great space. Um, yeah, it was a great space. But somebody, I think, had pointed out to you that the work was not archival. So to really like increase the work's value and its opportunity to be sold, you needed to move away from cardboard as a material, which led you to the process of resin, is that Yes, that's accurate? that's correct, yes. Um, I consider myself a maker first. So I was just playing, you know, I found some cardboard. I was making these cool sculptures with cardboard. And my collectors bought the work, yes, but they refused to pay the prices that I had um, sort of gotten to at that point because of the, the, the work's um, sort of material nature. I mean, honestly, how long is cardboard itself going to stick around? You know, if, if, if a client is going to pay like crazy amounts of money, it's an investment at the day. So, so what are they investing in? And it kind of gave me an excuse. <laughs> I love playing with materials. So how do you replicate cardboard um, to actually not, not just only replicate it, but my aim was to replicate it in, in a way that quite literally fooled the viewer it did it did lead to that i mean i think that's it's interesting for that reason but it also runs the risk because i've had this with your work before with yeah viewers are so unaware yes yes i, I was once judging uh tommy manielli yeah and you'd submitted a cardboard work and i knew you and i knew your work i made a beeline across the kind of room to go and see it and everyone else kind of ignored it because they assumed that it was actually cardboard. Yeah, and yeah. I had to take it off the wall and show them the back <laughs> the of back. it to say, actually, it's it's resin. I mean, it's unbelievable. You run the risk of the opposite thing. But uh, yeah, yeah. It, it is an interesting kind of thing that in order to get the sales, to mm. start to achieve the buyer base in the way you wanted to, you had to make the shift willingly, yeah. happily, yeah. And all the experimentation and play that you needed to do to do that, that you had lots of fun doing. But it is this thing about achieving the sale for the work at the end of the day. I mean, how hard is it to... To make a sale. <laughs> to sell an artwork. Wow. Well, this is the year to ask that question. Yeah. This has been a tough year in the art market. And mm. uh, I'm hearing that from colleagues across Everywhere. the board. Yeah. Everywhere, yeah. Cape Town, Joburg, mm. everywhere. And look, even in a good year, sales can be really tough and... It's funny, there's there's no one way that a sale happens. And sometimes a sale happens very quickly and very easily. And it's wonderful when that happens. 
But there are other times when it's a very long-winded process. And actually, I saw this question on your your um, pre-brief sheet and I thought, ah, great, I've actually got an example <laughs> at the moment because we have a, a collector who lives on the other side of the world who was in South Africa a year ago. Um, they came to view the artwork on two different occasions a year ago. I'm not kidding if I th- if I say that I have sent probably about 50 emails about this sale, which appears to be almost about to close, but has not yet closed. And, you know, it's been a lot of back and forth about all sorts of things. Um, and of course, people forget that you have to get shipping quotes and, yeah. and, and sometimes there's more than one way to send an artwork. So it's not just one shipping quote. It's like, okay, well, what's going to be the quote if you roll it in a tube? Mm-hmm. What is going to be the quote if you, um, frame it and then put it in a big crate? And actually, there might be two different types of crate that yep. you're going to consider. So what is a wooden crate versus a heavy duty cardboard crate? And there's all that kind of stuff going on in the background. To to make sure that the buyer is properly informed about how much money they're going to spend at the end of the day. And then, of course, um, if the buyer is price sensitive, you're also going to want to accommodate that and try and make it as easy and convenient for them as possible. And so you might um, also then be negotiating on the price. You might be negotiating an installment plan. You might be looking at um, options for them to get some kind of credit to buy art, for example. Um, there are all these things that are going on during the course of a sale. So yes, this is a great example of a sale that has been <laughs> underway, guys, for a year. So yeah. And I'm really hoping it's going to conclude this week. <laughs> it's hard to make the work. It's hard to sell the work. So artists, you know, it is difficult to put something on exhibition and your assumption is, well, I've done the exhibition, now I'm going to sell it. Yeah. There can be quite a long process. That's not to say that the artwork isn't good or that you don't deserve the sale, but it is finding the right home mm. uh, it is. for the piece. And it's it's funny. I mean, sometimes we will sell something that has literally arrived from the studio that morning. And somehow mm-hmm. someone sees it in the afternoon. It's like, yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> and it's like, we haven't even measured it. We haven't even got any, we haven't documented it at all. And it will already be sold. And then there are other works that will, as in this case, will take five years. Yeah. Mm. So there's no, there's no formula. Gosh. <laughs> Thank you very much to both of you for your time and for contributing to this conversation. We hope our listeners have enjoyed it. And please check out the show notes for contact details for images of Viv's work and we hope you've enjoyed this so far for more information on either the Meta Foundation or August House you can check out the links in the show notes we want to thank our sponsors of this program the Friedrich Naumann Foundation and Corum Property Holdings for their ongoing support of the Meta Foundation